right. So, what do you want? That's the question that we have been asking in this series. What do you want? What do you want? What do you really want? Um, And it's a tricky question, honestly, because there's often a difference between what we want now, what we want immediately, what we think we want, what we feel like we want, what we're told we should want. There's a difference between that and what we ultimately end up finding was the thing that we really wanted. Um, And and so we've been kind of navigating that together because, again, we've talked about this, I think, every week, that we could probably all tell stories. Um, In in fact, I think that the the more time you have spent on this earth, the more stories you probably have to tell because it's just a byproduct of uh, experience, life experience, that we could tell stories about times when we got what we wanted and found out it wasn't what we wanted at all. Where it was like, I just, I have to have this. I have to like, I, 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 what I want is this relationship. What I want is this career. What I want is this move to this other city. What I want is to take this opportunity. What I want is that vacation. What I want is that car. And then whatever, five years, five months, 10 years, 38 car payments later, whatever it looks like, you're like, turns out I didn't want that at all. Like this was not what I wanted and now I'm somewhere that I don't want to be. There's a tension between what we, what we think we want or feel we want or want in the moment or even the, the external pressures of the world around us saying you should want this, you should want this, this is what life is and what we really and ultimately and finally want. They're in conflict with one another and we, we've kind of explored that the last couple of weeks. Last week, uh, we, we talked about this idea of our natural wants or desires um, that kind of when we're, when we're left to our default position, it's like, I want these things and what I naturally want is rarely what I ultimately want. And we looked at this thing the Apostle Paul said, this is tongue twister. He's like, I don't know why I do what I do because what I, what I want to do, I don't do. What I do, what I, what I hate, I do. And, and it's, just, it's just a mess, right? And that's like, that's the tension and the struggle that we live in. And so as we've been exploring this, I've said there's kind of some good news coming, so there's some, some better news coming today, because like the last two weeks has been like, what you want is horrible and we're awful, ah! I mean, it's not been that bad. Has it been that bad? I mean, maybe it's been that bad. Hopefully today's a little bit, a little bit better news. Um, and we're going back to the, the terrible things that we want, but we're, we're bringing in some, some hope today, all right? Um, we, we've also said that what we want is a byproduct of what we value. That, that what we want, when you take that back a step further, that the things that we want are informed by the things that we value, or if we're going to get the things that we ultimately want, it needs to be informed by what we value, and what we value is just what's most important. That, that's true for any person. Where, no matter where you're at on a journey of faith, whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, exploring, ready to check out, whatever, like, this is just true of people that what we, what we find most important should shape the things that we want in the day-to-day. If you're a Christian, we take that a step further and go, okay, wait a minute, my wants are informed by my values or what I think is most important. Where do I find out what's most important? As a follower of Jesus, I go, wait a minute, I'm following that guy. So what he says is most important, then I'm going to embrace my own as that's what's most important, right? And so that's where we're at. That's what we've been talking about. And so kind of along that, those lines then of, of what do we want? What does Jesus want for us? What does God want for us? Here's something, here's the direction we're moving today, okay? Uh, and this is something that's true for you. Like no matter who you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is definitely true for you and you'll feel this as true for you, at least I hope so. Um, but even if you're not a Christian, this is still, this is true for you. I believe this is true for you. And you may go, I disagree with that, but that's okay. I believe it and you can't change what I believe. So I'm just saying. Um, but this is an idea that maybe we don't think about that often. And uh, it might take a little bit to get our heads around. It may take some effort and some work and some trial and error and some working through some stuff for you to come to believe this. Um, but what you really want and what God really wants for you are not that far off. That what you really and ultimately want and the thing that God would say, this is what I want for you, those things are closer than you may imagine. And depending on what your story is, you may find that really, really hard to believe. 
right? Because there's a picture that we have oftentimes of God, depending on your upbringing, like how you encountered faith, what your view of Christianity is, what your view of the church, what your view of faith and the Bible and all of these things. Uh, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you didn't, maybe you came to faith in adulthood, maybe you're still exploring. But the idea that God actually wants something for me and it could be a good thing is a foreign idea for many of us. Because many of us have or have had, and we're still trying to work through the perspective that no, 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 no. God doesn't want things for me. He just wants to take stuff from me. And if I'm being honest, that's not just like, oh, yeah, all those people that aren't Christians. They think that about God. A lot of us who are Christians still think this about God. But we're like, yeah, but I believe Christianity is true, and so I guess I don't have a choice. God's a jerk, but I'll follow him anyway. And again, we wouldn't say that out loud, but we, we have that perspective that he just wants to take from me. God wants stuff from me. He wants to take my happiness from me. He, he, wants to, he wants to take my joy from me. He wants to take my dreams from me and opportunities from me and relationships from me. He wants to take my sexual gratification away from me. He wants to take my money away from me. Whatever it is, we're like, no, 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 no. God is a taker, not a giver. He wants something from me. And that colors everything about how we see faith and how we see scripture and how we see church and all these things. And quite honestly, here's what I'll say about that, um, is that whenever you, uh, whenever you read like the scriptures and you look to the person of Jesus and you look at the New Testament, you look at what the apostles who are with Jesus said, this is who he is and this is what he was about, you do not ever get the message that God just wants to take things from you from them. That, that came from somewhere else. You get the, the opposite message. In fact, the idea of, <laughs> let me be really honest this morning, the idea where God wants stuff from you, that's more of a result of the church and followers of Jesus misrepresenting God than it's actually true of God. Like, we're the ones that are like, oh, yeah, hey, just so you know, God's a jerk, and he just wants to destroy your life. And again, we don't say that, but, man, we live that way. We treat people that way. We act that way. But when you look to Jesus, he's like, no, 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 no. I want something for you. Before I ever ask anything from you, I want you to know that I have something for you. And here's the other thing. If you're on that journey of faith, there are going to be moments where he's like, no, nah, actually, I do want this from you. There are times when he wants stuff from us. But his asking of something from us is always in pursuit of, what's, of what he wants to do for us in our lives. That it's like, hey, if, I'm, if God is asking from, you say, hey, I want you to give this thing up. I want you, I, what I want is your worship and your obedience and those kind of things. He's like, but there's something better on the other side of it. Maybe you've seen this picture float around on the internet. There's a picture of a cute little girl who has a teddy bear. And Jesus is like, give me the teddy bear. And she's like, but I love it, Jesus. Okay, the, it's, not, it's a picture. It's not sound, but that's what she says in my head. Okay, <laughs> I love it. And Jesus is like, trust me, give it to me. And he's got a giant teddy bear behind his back. Anybody ever seen that, that picture, right? Yeah, and it's just like, that's a very simplified version, but that's the reality. He's like, there are gonna be moments where I ask something from you but I have something better for you. What God wants for you is, is not that different than what you really want for you. And we're gonna let something that the Apostle Paul said kind of guide our, us in that, that direction and steer us in that way. And so the Apostle Paul writes about half the New Testament, writes to these Christians living in first century Roman empires are trying to navigate what does life and faith following Jesus look like. We're gonna revisit something that we looked at last week to set us up for this week. Um, Last week, we kind of, you know, as Paul is, is talking about this idea of the desires, like our natural selves and the desires of the flesh, what we naturally want, uh, that's only the front end of what he says, because then after that, that kind of bad news portion that we didn't look at, because I was like, I don't like good news. I ain't giving you guys into that. You got to come back this week for the good news, okay? After that portion, he's going to say, but here is what God actually wants for you. So we're going to jump back in to Galatians chapter 5 today. Uh, Galatians, again, it's, it's this letter that Paul writes to um, 
like very, very fresh new Christians living in the, the Roman province, the area of Galatia, and they're trying to navigate all kinds of difficulty uh, in their faith journey. They're coming from different backgrounds. Some of them are Jewish and some are Gentiles. So some of them are like, have come out of pagan religions and just Roman life. And, and they're, they're very, very different. They're trying to navigate all this complexity. And Paul says something very, very um, just astounding. It's, it's, it's just such a astute observation of human nature is the first thing that he says. So this is what we looked at last week, and then we'll move into some new content. He said, now, this is Galatians 5, starting verse 19, now the works of the flesh. This is what we talked a lot about last week. The flesh, it's this idea of what we want naturally. It's what comes, it's what comes natural. It's, who we, it's like if, if we would just get like factory default reset to like what we do with, with no kind of external forces or pressures, it's what humans naturally do. Right? It's just like the, the, the kind of the raw material of who Phil is, if left to his own devices, is not that pretty. And we're all kind of that way. It's just kind of hardwired into us. It's what happens to people as, as you look around. In fact, if you've ever like raised little humans, you don't need me to convince this to you, okay? Right? Like it's like, I didn't teach them that, okay? They just... Like, the, the, like, just it's mine, right? Like, the first word so often, like, mine, give me that. Like, let me take that. It's just like, no, we're just, we're kind of naturally wired to, to sometimes, just sometimes, okay? Be a little selfish, all right? Be a little, just have some anger issues, right? And as much as we tell ourselves we grow out of that, we don't really. Not naturally, anyway. We can. We can work through those things. But Paul's like, hey, there, there are the works of the flesh. And I love what he says. He says they're obvious. Um, and when the, the, the word that Paul uses for obvious here, it means they're obvious, right? It, it means when you just kind of look around and observe human nature, it's like, yeah. And, and I mean, one of the things that brings us to light is the context in which he's writing. So it's, this is a time where unlike kind of our world, you know, is where it's like Christianity is pretty, pretty normal. There's a, there's, a, there's a significant segment of the population, even in an increasingly secularizing culture. It's like, there's still a lot of Christians. We're kind of used to the world that's been shaped by Christian thought. Not so the case in Paul's day. First century Roman Empire, this is like the Christians are this just weird, weird little minority of people. Like so small, it's just like, well, we don't even really care what you guys do because like you're, you're such a tiny little fragment of the population and you look so strange compared to everyone else. And so when Paul says it's obvious, he's like, so everyone who's not you, you know, Galatians that I'm writing to around you, you know what they do. You know what they look like because you're just different. You're, you're, you are set apart from the normal. Like normal and normative is just like, that's kind of a a sliding scale. What's normal and normative in a culture and a society? It's like, it just means like the majority of people go, this is normal. Um, And it's like, that's not really a good standard for things to go like, okay, just because like majority rules, it does not always work out that well. And Paul's like, just because that's normal and it's obvious, that's not supposed to be you. What he's going to get at, what he's going to drive at in this passage is there's what's obvious, that like what, what humans naturally do, but I don't want you to be that way, that you shouldn't look normal. Christians, I mean, not like in a weird way, but we shouldn't be trying to be normal. We should be strange. And again, not weird strange, okay? There's a difference between Jesus strange and weird strange. Because some of you are just weird strange, okay? I'm just saying. Um, but it's like we shouldn't, we shouldn't be striving to be like, do I look like everyone else? Do I think like me? Do I, do, do, can I fit in? Because if your Jesusness, if your following of Jesus doesn't cause you to bump up against like the standards of like the world around you and how other people value things, probably not really following Jesus. So we're not supposed to look normal. And and honestly, one of the reasons that the church in the West is so anemic and lacks any kind of power is because we've tried so hard to be normal, to fit in, for people to like us. And it's like, 
so often all we do is reflect back a Jesus-fied, Jesus-ified version of the world around us. So like the world looks at us and it's like, well, you look just like me, except you're doing this whole Jesus thing. Why would I want to do that? Because if the gospel and the way of Jesus doesn't actually radically transform us to look different, it's not that fun, okay? If I, if I look just like the world around me, except now I gotta go to church on Sunday and like I can't cuss. Well, some of you still do, but it's okay. It's like, I can't, I gotta give money and I gotta give my time. Like, why would I wanna do that? Like, if it is not radically different in life giving, the world would want no part in it. And so, like, part of it is just like, Paul's like, yeah, there, there's a, there should be a vast difference between what's obvious, and as he's gonna say, the way that, that you live. There's what's normal. It's obvious, the works of the flesh. I spent too much time on that, but it's all right. We're going on. And so he goes through this list, and it's not an exhaustive list, but he's like, again, when you, when you look at the world around you, here's what it looks like, sexual immorality, moral impurity, and promiscuity. It's like there, there's a way that the, the world operates in which it says, I can do whatever I want with my body. I can do what I want, when I want, where I want, with who I want. As long as we have consenting adults, there's nothing wrong, right? Actually, if you think things are bad in our culture, man, like, study first century Roman Empire. Like when Paul says this, it's just like all bets are off, man. Like it is just a crazy, crazy culture. And Paul says, yes, this is normal, but it's not supposed to be you. Like God has actually made you with physical bodies. He's made you as sexual creatures, but he's, he's, he's given a context for that. And it is radical and it is weird looking, but that's what I'm calling you to. He says, listen, here's what's normal. What's normal is idolatry and sorcery. What's normal in people is to say, I am going to take things and elevate them to the place of God, and I'm going to worship at the throne of power and sex and money and entertainment and career. I'm going to bow down and orient my life around you. Idolatry is, is normal. Manipulating people and circumstances, sorcery, that's, that's normal. He, he says, look around. Here's what people do. Hatred. And strife and jealousy and outbursts of anger and selfish ambition and dissension and factions and envy and drunkenness and carousing. He's like, this is what normal relationships look like. This is normal. He's like, this, this is what interpersonal dynamics, this is, you look around at, at families, that's what it looks like. You look at friendships, that's, that's the default setting of what it looks like. You look at your coworkers and your boss and all that, this is what it looks like. You look at people who disagree with you across the political spectrum and this is what it looks like. That's normal. Don't be normal. That's what happens naturally. That's our default position. It was true in Paul's day. It's, it's true in ours. And it's, it's, it's crazy. It was like, hey, be normal, be normal. Like, do these things. This is, this is the standard. This is how we do things. And it's like, does this work? Because it's like, this is normal, and this is kind of what's encouraged, and this is kind of how we, we live, and this is our default setting. And I look around, and there's lots of people doing this, and like, this is not from like a judgmental standpoint. This is from a, yeah, but people are broken, and people are hurting. We, we, we go, yes, embrace the normal, and people are miserable and hurting and broken. But we keep leaning into normal. So Paul says, this is what the natural looks like. This is what the works of the flesh. This is what happens when we say, here's the things I naturally want. Let me just go after them. And he continues on and says, I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before. He's like, hey, it's not the first time, Galatians. I've had to have this conversation with you before. But those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to feel the tension because he is writing to Christians. He's writing to followers of Jesus. Like, wait, Paul, are you telling us that even us, we put our faith in Jesus, we're not going to inherit the kingdom of God because maybe we're still struggling with these other things? He says, no, 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 because where he's going to go in this passage to understand that there, he's making a contrast between what's natural, the natural, and then the spiritual. Living by what comes natural versus yielding to the power of, of God's spirit. 
There's who we were before Christ and there's who we are now. But here's the thing. The, the, the standard of our behavior is not perfection. It's direction. Like it's not about, because like we look at that and we're like, oh my goodness, Paul, like it's, it's not about, oh, I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus now and sometimes I still get angry or sometimes I'm still selfish. Does that mean like I'm not really a Christian and I'm like, I'm not good with God? Paul's like, no, 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 no. Where he's gonna go with this is like, it's not a matter of you being perfect. You are not going to be perfect. Take that weight off of yourself. It's really good news. Because if we were gonna have to be perfect, it's like we would all be miserable all the time because we're like, I'm awful, I blew it again. Paul says, no, it's, it's the direction that you're heading in. See, it's a matter of like, okay, sometimes even as a follower of Jesus, I still fall back into old patterns and old habits, but when I do, it tears me up. I'm broke. I'm, I grieve over that. It's like, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to do that. that. That tension in you and that brokenness and that grief and that conviction, that's actually a sign that, no, you may not have, the, have perfection, but you are moving in the right direction. You, you are, you are, you are, you're moving towards the, the goal. You're moving towards that finish line. You're moving towards, as Paul says, the kingdom of God. He says, those things that I've listed are not compatible with the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God in the New Testament is this idea of the, the rule and the reign of God. It's his justice, it's his mercy, it's his love, it's his goodness, it's his righteousness, it's all of these things. And there's a, a dichotomy in the New Testament between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. And Paul's just listed kind of like, hey, here's what the kingdom of the world looks like. And so if you're... If you're just nonchalant about those things, like, yeah, so what if I'm, have a little, if I'm just selfish and angry all the time? It's like, that's an indication that you're, you're, you're part of the wrong kingdom. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. See, how, how you live, and this is one of those, those things that it's like we think the idea of the kingdom of God, like it's, it's, it's just an eternity thing. It's like when we die, like God's going to be there and be like, okay, um, uh, you get to go to the good place, you get to go to the bad place. We act like it's a surprise to us. Like, what? No, I wish I would have known. But that's, that's not the picture that scripture paints. It's more of an idea of a, it's a, there's a path that you're already on now, and it just continues on. We have a picture of it like it's the end of the road, and at the end of the road, God says, okay, you go down path one or two. But it's, no, it's more like, hey, we're on the path right now. And we're on road A or road B, and it's like you're driving down the road, and you just hit a road sign that says, welcome to the kingdom. A group of us just went on a trip this, this past week, right? And we went through a couple different states. It's like, welcome to Ohio. Find it here. Find what? I'm from Ohio. There's not that much here. <laughs> or, or West Virginia, wild and wonderful. And how, how, how can West Virginia have not have changed their slogan yet to country roads, take me home? Like, come on, Somebody. We went through Virginia, which is Virginia is for lovers, and that one's just always awkward because I'm like, why? Why? Well, that, that's what you want everybody to know about your state. But, like, it's more that idea. There's already this road that I'm on, and, oh, now I'm going on this road. It looks like I've, I've, I've arrived here in, in the kingdom. That what we do now and how we live now is an indication of really where our heart is and where we want to end up. If I don't want the kingdom now, I don't want Jesus now, why would I want it forever? If I'm like, no, I hate that stuff, but magically at the end of my life, I'm going to love it. It's like, no, it's like it's a path that you're already on. So walk and step with these things is where Paul is going to go, right? So he's, bad news. Bad news is over now. Paul's like, listen, here's what it looks like when you do what you naturally want. But, but the fruit of the spirit, really good news, really good news. Paul contrasts the phrase works of the flesh with fruit of the spirit. So the works of the flesh, what I do naturally versus the fruit of the Spirit, what God produces supernaturally. There's what I do in my own efforts, and it's usually pretty bad, versus what God does in me. That when these, these beautiful things that we're going to see come about, it's actually not me doing it. It's something that God is bringing about in me. We have a part to play. We have a role to play 
in cooperation with what God is doing, but make no mistake about it, God is the one doing it. The fruit of the Spirit. And for our conversations, we're talking about this idea of getting what we want, what we really want, what we ultimately want. I want us to think about it this way. That the fruit of the Spirit, and that God wanting something for you as well, the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is a description of what, what God wants in your life, is what would happen in your life if God just overrode your free will. If God said, I'm going, to, I'm going to force you to have what I want for you, this is what it would be. Now, he's not going to do that to you because he loves you and he's created free will, will creatures and we're called to, to live in accordance with him. But if God were to come along and say, I'm going to force what I want for you on you, he's like, this is what it would look like. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what I want for you. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what God wants for you. That's what he wants for you. And none of us are like, no, that sounds awful. I don't want any of that. That sounds like the worst thing ever. You keep that stuff out of here, God. And like, not, and we're like, no, that, that all sounds pretty good, right? And this is, this, again, this is one of those things. This, is, this may get me into trouble, but here's some pushback we get. This is something that we hear in culture. Christianity is bad. It's bad for the world. It's bad for society. It's bad for people. It is harmful for people. This whole Jesus thing, it hurts people. This doesn't hurt anyone. This is good for people. This is beautiful. This leads to flourishing. This leads to a life in God that, that brings joy and contentment and so many beautiful, beautiful things. The issue, again, is not that Christianity is bad for people. It's that sometimes we as Christians are bad for people. Sometimes we, sometimes we, we need a little more of this in our own lives before we go and try to tell people, like, hey, you, you need Jesus too. You're like, Really? This is beautiful. This is what God wants for me and for you and for every single person. The Apostle Paul, he's drawing this comparison. He's like, here's what comes natural, but you guys, are you kidding me? Why would you want what comes natural when you can have this instead? Why would you want to do what everyone else is doing and live the way that everyone else is living when you can have a life full of these things instead? I mean, can you, can you imagine, for, just for a second, if everyone on the planet would actually embrace what God wants for them? Forget about everyone on the planet. Forget about everyone in our country. Can you imagine if just the Christians in our nation would embrace what God wants for them? The world would change in a moment if we were all like this. And it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's like, this is, this is, this is what I want to do in you. This is what I want to produce in you. Let's just run through this list. He talks about, I, I, I want, here's what I want for you. I want love. I want love for you. And it's not just merely like, oh, mushy feelings, love. You may already have heard this, but it's, it's worth repeating. There are several different words for love in the Greek language. There's a love that means like romantic love, aw. There's love that means like brotherly love, like, what's up, I got you, I got you. There, there's, there's a love that means like familial love that you have, but then there's also this, this word, this is agape love. This is the love of God. It's love that's defined by sacrifice and putting others first. It's a love that says, I will even when you won't. I'm not turning my back on you. I'm sacrificing for you. I'm putting you first. It's what's at the nature and the heart of who God is. He's like, not only does God want that for you to be a person that demonstrates that, but to be a person that's experienced that. Because you can't demonstrate these things if you've never experienced them for yourself. You can't give what you don't already have. And so it's like there's a receiving of this love and a giving of this love. 
It's no mistake that it's the first one. It's not like, hey, this is just kind of a random list, but it's the first one because every other one flows out of this love. God wants you to have love. What God really wants for you is to be a person filled with joy, a kind of joy and contentment, not just when things are good, but when things are bad, when things are really, really bad, in the midst of pain and in the midst of suffering, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of poverty, in the midst of broken relationships, when it seems like everything is falling apart around you to go, you know what, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Because the joy that God wants to give is a joy that is rooted in in not our circumstances, but it's rooted in a celebration and an expectation of God's victory over sin and death and the powers of darkness. It's this reality that says, wait a minute, wait. Jesus lived, he died, he rose. Sin and death are defeated and they may be having a moment right now, but it won't last. And so because of that, even though my world is falling apart around me, I know it's not the end of the story. I can have joy in pain and in chaos. And I've met some of you and heard your story. This is your story, and it's beautiful. And you've met people like this. And on one level, you're like, you're really annoying, right? Because you're like, it's like, how, your life is falling apart. How can you be so joyful? You're like, ah, I'm kind of bothered by that. But then at the same time, you're like, I kind of want that. I want my life to look like that. And if you talk to people that are following Jesus that have that kind of joy, you're like, what's, what's the secret? The secret is my hope was never in my circumstances. My hope has always been in Jesus. Joy. God says, here's what I want to give you. I want to give you peace. I love this one. It's hard to choose a favorite. I probably can't choose a favorite. There might be something wrong about choosing a favorite, but I like the idea of peace. Anytime the word peace comes up in our church, I'm always like, hey, guys, I want us to know peace is not just an absence of conflict. That's what we think peace is. You're not at war. You're not at conflict. It's the presence of wholeness. It's, it comes from the Hebrew word shalom. Uh, it's still how Jewish people greet one another. Shalom, shalom, shalom means peace. It means wholeness. There's a restoration of things. There's, a, there's an internal wholeness within ourselves. There's a wholeness brought between our relationship with God and there's a wholeness between uh, us and other humans. It's, it's no longer broken. There's a healing. There's a calm. There's a we're okay um, that, that, that takes place. And again, Paul, you know, he's talking, he's like, look, look, look at what's normal. You've got the world around you who are striving for these things, striving for peace and wholeness in a sense of, okay. And what's normal when it comes to searching for peace, what's normal is to medicate for peace. What's normal is to entertain ourselves to death for peace. What's normal is to distract ourselves or spend ourselves into finding peace. And there's moments for those things and there's times for all those things. But Paul's like, listen, what God wants to give you is a source of peace that doesn't have to come from anywhere out there, but it's bubbling up from within you. I wanna give you peace. I wanna calm your anxious heart and you can experience wholeness. What God wants for you is patience. And honestly, you guys, I'm really glad God wants that for us. I'm glad he wants that for me because most of the time, I don't. Or it's like, it's okay if I would have it, but I don't have it right now and I don't really care. And so it's like, man, I'm, I'm glad that somebody else is looking out for me in this area. Patience, this idea, the, the ability to put up with people. <laughs> just plain old, just like, <sighs> what, I'm, what I want to say and what I want to do is not what I'm going to say and do. It's patience. I like the translations that, that say long suffering because it's like, yeah, with you, I have been suffering a long time. <laughs> but it, this is one of the characteristics. It, it, this flows from who God is because he's, he's the God who's patient and long suffering with his rebellious creatures where over and over and over again where you're, they're like, you know what, screw you, God, I don't want you. And he's like, yeah, but I'm still here. I'm not gonna like lightning bolt you or whatever our picture may be. He's like, 
patient. Patience, long-suffering. What God wants for us is kindness. Again, another one rooted in, in God's character, one of my favorite passages because it's just so counterintuitive the way that we think things is when the apostle Paul says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not God's jerkness or his judgmentalism or his hatred. It's like, no, 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 like not, not, it's, it's seeing how kind and how good God is and going like, how could I not follow that God? It's his kindness. I like one definition um, of kindness. Someone says that kindness is loaning someone your strength instead of reminding them of their weaknesses. Kindness is coming along and saying, you are weak in this area. I'm not going to come along and tell you and remind you and show you how weak you are, but rather where I see you are weak, I'll say, hey, come borrow some of my strength. That's kindness. He says, I want that for you. What I want for you is goodness. Goodness. That's a word that refers to um, this idea of benevolence and generosity towards someone else. Literally, the idea comes from this idea of go, going the extra mile. We've heard that phrase, go the extra mile, but that's something that comes uh, straight from the mouth of Jesus. And as he's teaching this radical thing that at that time and in that culture, a Roman soldier could, who was seen as just the, your sworn enemy could come up to you and demand that you carry his pack and his clothes and all of his, his equipment. You, could, you had to carry it one mile, and if you refused, bad news. Like you were beaten, you were thrown in jail, you could be killed, all these, all these kind of things. And so you had to carry it a mile. And Jesus stands up and says, yeah, you guys know this, this rule that we have, you got to carry it a mile. I'm telling you, go a second mile. Go so far above and beyond that people think you are crazy. That this, this radical love and generosity, and again, this sacrificing nature, it's goodness. God wants to give you faithfulness. This is what he really wants for you. He wants you to be known as a person who is faithful. You are trustworthy. You do what you say. You, you, your word is solid. When you say yes, you mean you're a person that, that people would say of you, you know what, I can count on them. And again, talking about this is what God wants for you. These are the things that we want for us too. We want, to be, we, want, we want to be said of us, you know what, he was a person that could be trusted. She was a person that could be trusted. I, I, they, they had my back. I could call them up. They would drop everything they were doing. If they said they'd be there, they're going to be there. They're faithful. They're faithful. Gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness. Sometimes we think that it is. Gentleness is actually, no, it's strength, but it's strength under control. It's being able to say, I, 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 I could like destroy you right now, mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever, but I'm not gonna do that. I have strength, but I'm not going to, to use it in that way. It is power that is harnessed in loving service of other people. Gentleness. And finally, self-control. Self-control, this is another one that like, man, I'm glad that God wants this for me because I usually don't or in my head, I seem to think that I do and then again, my natural self says, but it's gonna taste good, okay? And then and I'm like, oh, I did it again. I ate again. I have no self-control. I'm like, Jesus, you said you want this for me. Please give me some self-control because I don't seem to have it that often. These are the things that I want for you. This is what I, God says, this is what my spirit wants to do in you. He's going to transform you from the inside out. And then Paul's like, hey, all these beautiful things, there is no law against them. Okay, there's no law like, against this idea that uh, there's, no, there's no need to, when, when the spirit is working in you, you can just take the bookends of the list. If we just had love and self-control and I live my life by the law of love and, love and self-control, I would never do anything wrong because I'm loving people by God's standard of love and I'm self-controlled over myself. I don't need laws. And Paul's specific thing is talking about like the Jewish law, but it's, it's broad across, across any kind of prohibitive law. He's like, if you've got the fruit of the spirit in you, you don't really need people to tell you what you shouldn't do because you're just naturally or supernaturally, I guess, not going to do it. 
There's no law against such things. Verse 24, he says, Now those who belong to Christ, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is extreme language. To us, we're like, yeah, crucifixion, the cross. To his audience, they had seen crucifixions. They had smelled the bodies on the crosses. They had heard the screams. It was a regular reminder because Rome made it very, very public so that people wouldn't mess with Rome. And so, like, this is the most violent image that they could possibly conjure up. And Paul's like, that's what you have to do to that natural self that keeps rising up in you. You've got to be, I'm like, you've got to be extreme with this thing. And look at the language, right? He says, you, those who belong to Christ, they have crucified, right? So he's like, well, the spirit is going to produce stuff in you, but you've got something to do as well. You got to get up every single day, moment by moment, day by day, and say, that old person, die, okay? Like he has to, he cannot keep coming back to haunt me. Every single day. It's a bad horror movie where the zombies keep coming back and you're like, they're just never dead, okay? He's like, that's, that's kind of how the old person is. He's like, crucify your flesh, its passions, its desires. It's an intentional choice. And then the second part, and if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. So Paul's like, listen, here's your model. Christ is your model because crucified in living. That Jesus was crucified on a cross and he rose to live in resurrection life. And Paul's like, this is the picture for you as a follower of Jesus. You will have to die, but there is life on the other side of it. There is life in the spirit. There's a resurrection life that you uh, get to live, that God empowers you to live, that there's something we have to do. And if I'm just being honest about my own life and my own struggles, this is where, this is where the rubber meets the road and things get hard. Because I hear God calling me to say, die to the things that you want and crucify the flesh and die to some of your desires. And I'm like, okay, I hear you, but I don't know that I necessarily trust that, that verse 25, that there will be life in the spirit. Because it's like some of the things that I want, I really, I really, really want God. I'm afraid that if I die to those things, that, 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 that you're, again, you're taking something from me that you don't want something for me. And there's this war that goes on. There's this battle that goes on. And in those moments, this is where faith comes in. Faith is not blind belief. It's not just saying, well, I guess I'll just have to do it. Faith is saying, no, 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 like I have this struggle and this is real and I don't want to give up this thing. But faith is, it is action. It is trust based on what I know about a person. So faith says, I know that Jesus lived. I know that he died. I know that he rose from the dead. I know that was all out of love for me. And so if he's that good, I can trust him when he says to, get, to, to die to something to let go of something, to get rid of something. I can trust, and this is, you read through the scripture, you look at the life of Jesus, this is always, always, always true. Anytime that God asks you to, to kill something, to die to something, to let go of something, there's resurrection on the other side of it. Like he, he will never ask you to just give something, something up or kill something in yourself or die to yourself and say, ha I just wanted you to do that. No, there's always something on the other side that says, I wanted you to let go of that because I want you to experience the life that I have for you. And for a lot of us listening right now, man, this is, this is the struggle because there's already something in your head that you're like, I know I need to let go of this. I know I gotta stop. I know I need to start. I know I need to make that call. I know I need to make that change. But I am so afraid that if I die to that thing and I give that thing up that, that I'm letting go of a dream, I'm letting go of a desire, I'm letting go of a future. God says, listen, you may be dying to something, but what I have for you is better than what you will be giving up. I promise that. Follow the model of Jesus. Die to yourselves and live a resurrection life. And it's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing, it's a continual, because he says, let us also keep in step with the spirit. This is discipleship language. This is the daily grind of being a follower of Jesus. This is, this is his invitation to his followers in the first century. It's been his invitation to every single generation of Christians since then, come follow me. Jesus, where are we going? Come follow me. 
When are we going to get there? Come, just, just come follow me. What's going to happen along the way? Just follow me. Jesus, you've got to give me a clue. Tell me something about the journey. Okay, I can tell you here's the direction that we're going in if you come and follow me. We're going to love. We're going to joy. We're going to peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Come follow me. You want to know where we're going? That's where we're going. Come follow me. And it's, it's, this, it's, it's what he's doing, but it's what we're saying, okay, I'm open to this, and God, I want you to do this in me. I'm crucifying my flesh and saying I'm trusting you to do something in me that I can't even begin to imagine. This is what God wants for you. And as I said at the beginning, I'm pretty confident that what he wants for you is also what you really want for you. When he says he wants this stuff, I think if we would all get honest with one another, so this is what God really wants for you, you'd say, yeah, I think I want that too. I really want that in my life. I want to be a person defined by these things. I want to experience these things, uh, and I want, I want the other, other people to experience these things through me. That, that, that what you really want is what God wants for you. And these are not natural. These don't come just like by accident. That's why Paul uses such extreme language. They're fruit of the Spirit, that God will supernaturally produce them in your life if you allow him to, and you keep in step with him, and you keep telling that old person, I'm not that person anymore. I'm somebody new. And so the simple call, the simple invitation, the simple next step of action is for two groups of people. Number one, if you are a Christian or a follower of Jesus, this is our, our daily call, our daily assignment, our daily task, moment by moment, is to do this. Okay, I'm going to crucify the flesh. I'm going to live by the Spirit. I'm going to keep in step with the Spirit. So every day that starts with this posture of saying, okay, God, I know I'm broken and I know I am sinful and I, I want to make intentional choices not to live that way, but I need you and I need your Spirit. So will you guide me today? Will you empower me today? It's living that every single day and experiencing those beautiful things that he has for you. And if you're not a Christian or a follower of Jesus yet, glad you're here, glad you're watching. Let me just say this is an invitation that's open to you any time. For God to say, I want something for you that is a life more than you could possibly imagine, all you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus and say, I trust your life, death, and resurrection. I believe in you. I'm following you. Forgive me my sins. Fill me with your spirit, and you will get to go on this journey towards what God really wants for you as well. And we are here as a church and as a family and as a group of people to do that together. And so let's be people that, as Paul has said, that we keep in step with the spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are loving. We thank you that when you do invite us uh, into moments that are scary or hard or giving things up, we thank you that we can trust you, that you have something better for us on the other side. Uh, and we don't just say that those aren't just empty words built on empty promises, but we say that and we can have confidence in that because something has happened. You sent your son to give his life for us. He died for our sins. He rose from the grave, proving once and for all that you love us defeating the powers of sin and death once and for all. So our hope is in that, our trust is in that. God, I pray uh, that through your spirit right now, you would be, um, you'd be working on us, you'd be convicting us, you'd be transforming us and molding us. I pray you'd give us boldness and courage to know what to do and to take those steps forward. Um, Lord, for every single person here, no matter what step of the journey they are on in a walk with you, uh, that you would continue to move them uh, in the direction of the life that you have uh, for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.